Texts are crucial aspects of our existence. You can go through the motions of just about anything. If you study the Old Testament, one of the things that you find God frustrated with from time to time is the fact that people, His people, who have been given so much, could from time to time go and go through the sacrificial system, kind of go through the institutional aspects of their religion, but it never really engage and impact their heart. The truth of the matter is, some of us right now are doing that very thing. We've kind of come and we're here, but we're not really here. Our hearts are engaged in other concerns. Our hearts are are, are not necessarily at the feet of Christ. Our our hearts are really engaged in in other endeavors. And so uh, going through the motions, it it may or may not have impact. It's always good to be in God's house. Uh, But what we do with that time really depends on what we do with our hearts. I don't know if you've been watching the NCAA tournament or not, but it's interesting. You You can see the difference between a team that's playing with all their heart and a team that's not. You know, last night, uh, not to name names of Florida State, they did not, they did not do so well, right? And so by the end of that game, what was happening was they weren't playing with heart anymore. And, and you know, I picked them in the bracket, so I was cheering for them. And now I'm not. But they gave up after a while. Why? Because they realized, you know what, this isn't going to happen. You know what team didn't give up? Northwestern. And I don't like them. Because they beat Vanderbilt. How do you go off beat Vanderbilt, right? But they did, you see. But they did. And one of the things I appreciate about that game yesterday that they were playing, they were playing with their heart all the way to the end. And, you know, there's something that happens when our heart is engaged. And we've got to be mindful of the importance of our hearts. That's why God tells us. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 4. Very important. He says, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. See, you've got to keep your heart right. You've got to keep it from being contaminated by the wrong stuff. You've got to keep it fueled with the right things. Because out of your heart, that flows the rest of your life. Warren Wiersbe, I appreciate his warning as well. He said, the heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. See, we have all kinds of things that are going to go on in our lives. Things good, things bad. But the problem is never the problem. The problem is the heart. Because, see, if you're able to, with a heart that is set on Christ, you can go through anything. It doesn't matter what you go through, so long as your heart is right with God. And so we need to, we got to guard our hearts. And we've got to help one another with that. Now, the good news is that God has intervened to do something about our heart. Um, We need, because of the fall, because of sin, we actually need a new heart. And the good news is he's given us one. In Ezekiel 24, he promises. He said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God in His grace, gives us at salvation a new heart. A heart that is alive to Him. A heart that is led by the Spirit of God. But that heart is in us. And that heart is our responsibility. And it's important that we realize the consequences of our heart. And so we've got to make sure that our heart is true. Again, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart. Notice this. Notice our responsibility here. It's us that is drawing near. It is our heart, and so we must make sure it is a true heart 
full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, we can't do that apart from God. The good news of the gospel is that we are given a new heart when we believe. Now, we understand that the world is broken. We understand that that comes from sin. We understand that the only way that any of us can gain a new heart is with the gospel. Do you understand the gospel? Do you understand it's not a self-help? Do you understand that the gospel is God's grace to us? That when we were sinners, Christ came and died for us, not because we cleaned ourselves up, not because we had an A for effort, but because in His mercy and His grace, God chose to become one of us, paid the penalty of our sin, and now has been raised. And by His power, having turned away from sin and brokenness, we can believe the gospel and we can pursue and recover God's design. And we can do that rightly and only rightly with a heart, with a heart that is true to God with a heart that's been made new by the power of God, with a heart that is understanding truth and pursuing truth. That happens by faith. And, and the way our heart is maintained is through faith. And so we must be exhorted in our faith to protect our heart and to pursue God with a right heart. Now, we can be encouraged to do that. And last week, we talked about that. If you weren't here, please go to our Facebook page or get the church app and listen to what we talked about last week in terms of encouragement and how worship is better because we're encouraged together. Today, I want to talk about something else, another aspect of this that will help us in our faith, and that's being exhorted. There's a big difference between being encouraged and being exhorted. Encouragement is much more motivational. Encouragement is, is much more of a, of a means that is a softer push. Exhortation is different. It's much more challenging. Encouragement says, come on, you can do this. Exhortation says, look at me. You can and must do this. There's a difference in tone. There's a difference in, in, in aspect. The truth is, I prefer exhortation. Maybe it's the man in me, but I love somebody to just jerk me up and get my attention. Maybe it's the training and the sports and all that stuff. But you know what I can't stand? I can't stand a college coach that's sitting on the bench. They pay you too much money. Get on your feet, mister. You know, that's what I don't like about pros. You ever seen a professional coach? They just sit around, picking their teeth, acting like it doesn't matter because it doesn't. They've already been paid. I love a good college coach. I like this coach at Northwestern. Did you see him get that technical? great. You don't get a technical sitting around. You've got to be engaged. You've got to jump up. And he was right. That was, a, that was illegal. Shouldn't have been, he shouldn't call something. But you know what? I appreciate the fact that he's running out on the court with some kind of passion. He believes in it, and it shows. Listen, Christians, does your belief show? Does it show? I mean, are you into this? Do you get this? Are, 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 you, are you ready to engage? See, if you are, you don't mind being exhorted. You want to be exhorted. You don't, you don't mind giving an exhortation. And we all need an exhortation. And the way we do it, it's not just in the words we say, oh, that's a part of it. It's also in our attitude and actions. It's even in the way we sing. You know, I, this morning, honestly, at 8 o'clock, I didn't feel like singing. My heart's sad. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit discouraged. At this loss, but you know what? At the eight o'clock service, I began to hear the congregation sing of the goodness of God. And you know what I did? I started singing. 
you know what happened? I was exhorted. And that's what, that's what we do for each other. God calls us together to exhort one another. Let's make sure what, what exhortation is to be. It's, it's to serve, not condemn. Exhortation is, is not condemning. It's serving one another. It's to protect, not to punish. It's not about making someone feel guilty. It's about helping them understand the seriousness of the threat to their soul and to their heart and calling them out. It's about challenge, not choking. It's not choking somebody. It's challenging them. It's saying to them, come on, look at me. You've got to do this. And please understand, it's, it's about building faith, not self-dependence. It's about calling each of us, each of us calling one another to fix our eyes on Jesus. It's about being called to fix our eyes on Jesus. When did Peter start to sink when he was walking on water? It's when he took his eyes off of Jesus. Listen, some of you are in the midst of a storm and you're walking by faith. I'm going to tell you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't look at your problems. Don't look at the challenges. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let me exhort you today and be exhorted and exhort others to keep their eyes on Jesus. When did, when did, Israel, when did Israel get stuck wandering around in the desert? It's when they took their eyes off of God. It's when they started focused on their problems and focusing on their pain and getting negative that they ended up in this wandering. When did Hymenius and Alexander, you read about them in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, when did they shipwreck their faith? It's when they took their eyes off of Jesus. Can I talk to some of you right now? Let me tell you something. Some of you are in very serious danger today. Some of you are in danger of, of wandering from the Lord, and you're about to enter into a desert season, a season when you're going to wander away from God. I talked to a woman. She hasn't been in our church in almost 14 years. And I said, what happened? She said, I wandered. 14 years. I wonder how many of you are sitting right now, if you don't make a change in the trajectory of your faith, that's going to be you. I wonder how many of you, like Hymenes and Alexander, are about to shipwreck your faith. How many of you are in serious danger of falling to a situation where your hard-heartedness will, will keep you from pursuing and enjoying the benefits and the blessings of what God alone can give? Friends, this is very serious. That's why we're exhorted in our, in our scripture today to exhort one another. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me right now to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to be in verse 12. J.J. Porter is going to read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. Again, we're in Hebrews chapter 3. And this is a challenge. It's, a, it's an important challenge uh, given to us in verse 12 and 13. J.J., if you would read that for us, buddy. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as you as long as it is called today, then none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, JJ. If you guys would go ahead and be seated. Um, let's talk about this text. Let's make sure we understand. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews was. A lot of people think it was Paul. I've often thought it was a woman, that it was uh, one of uh, the ladies that were with Paul. Uh, because, again, it's unusual not to have an author's name associated with a book. Uh, we don't know. I can't wait. We'll get to heaven and someone's going to say, I did it. We'll be like, where'd it go, right? 
But right now we don't know. But we do know who the letter was written to. It was written to a group of Hebrews who were seriously considering walking away from their faith in Jesus. They were discouraged. They were facing trials and temptations. And some of them were getting ready to go the opposite way of Christ. And so given that, the, the, the author writes to these folks and speaks to them in this time of their, of their desert day. Listen, all of us are going to go through what I would call a desert day. It's, it's given to us by God's design. You think about when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, God purposely sent them to the desert to teach them. Where did Paul go? Where did Paul go for 14 years having experienced God? He, he went to the desert. What, what did Jesus do the day after he was baptized? It said the Spirit of God led him into the desert to be tempted. What about King David? Having been anointed as king, having become this, this great warrior, what happens? He's forced into the desert. And when you go into the desert, it is there that you will be tempted to deny Christ. It is in that, that harsh terrain of life that you will, you will be drawn to consider another way away from Christ. And, and it is in those moments that it's so crucial that you have a family of faith. It is so crucial that you are regularly gathering for worship. It's so crucial that you have people who love you enough to exhort you and to call you and to challenge you to keep your eyes on Jesus. Our text today tells us we've got to be careful because there is a very real danger. Write this down and don't ever forget it. The danger of disbelief is real. I know some of you are sitting here right now saying, you know what? There would never be a time when I would not be walking by faith in Jesus. Be careful, friend. Be very careful. Your desert day, you have no idea what you may be going through. You lose a child, your health, your vocation. None of us knows what we are capable of doing until we are faced with that moment. And all of us will have that desert day, maybe many days in the desert. And we need to be ready to face that very serious danger. Look what it says in verse 12. Look at Hebrews 3.12. It says, Take care. Protect yourselves. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. I'll never forget, in 1994, I was, I was newly ordained. I'd been ordained for about nine months, and I went to this pastor's conference, and we were at Two Rivers Baptist Church. I'll never forget this, one of the largest churches in Tennessee, really one of the largest churches at that time in the country, well-known church, and Rick Warren was preaching that day, the famous Rick Warren. And there are two things about that experience I'll never forget. The first one is this. Having just been ordained, having, having uh, been in the process of getting training, Rick Warren shared how when he was ordained and when he sat out in ministry, there were 20 other men that were dear friends to him that had started out in ministry as well. And that in that year, 1994, that a majority of those men had given up on Christ and walked away from the faith. Seminary trained, pastorally called men 
who had walked away from the faith. And I'm going to tell you, that terrified me. Because I, I look at myself and I think, I know for a fact they're a whole lot smarter and they are a whole lot godlier and they are a whole lot God, more capable than me. If they can fall, surely I can too. Friends, don't you ever forget it. There are people that are a lot smarter than us, a lot more devoted than us, with a lot more capacity than us that have wandered from the faith. And it's a very real temptation. The other thing I'll never forget is that this conference took place at Two Rivers Baptist Church at the time, one of the most influential churches in the country that no longer exists today. Living hope, we must remain faithful. A church can die, and it will always die from a lack of faithfulness. And we must remain faithful. We must be ready for these desert times. We must know that they're going to come. Now, I don't want to talk about theories of atonement. You know, I know that there's, I've already gotten emails, I've already got texts today. I thought you said that we would always have perseverance of the saints. Are you saying that we can lose our salvation? Listen, that's not what this text is. That's not what it's about. You know what it's about? It's about losing sight of Jesus and wandering from Him and living a miserable existence that brings Him no glory and you no blessing. That's the real danger. God has many prodigal children who've wandered away. And in this time, I believe that there truly is, He will bring them back. One way or another. But I also know that there is a great misfortune and a great sadness and a great darkness that we can all live in if we do not, if we do not take care to hear this warning and take this danger very seriously. The Scriptures are consistent in warning us I mean, look at this warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Why would Scripture say that unless there's a very serious, real potential to fall? There's not a person in this room for whom this danger doesn't exist. we got to take this seriously. And let's not also, let's not take this text out of context. So many people... You misuse this text. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What this is saying is, yes, you're going to be tempted to wander from the faith. But if you will remain faithful to Christ and within the church family, it will never be more than you can handle. And you will be called back to faithfulness. So long as you are willing to present yourself humbly at the feet of Jesus and to be called to focus on Jesus. Let me tell you what this text doesn't say. There are some who wrongly quote this to say that God will never give you more than you can handle. That is a lie. Here's the truth. You might want to write this down. Next time you see this on Facebook, write this in, okay? God will never give you more than He can handle. He will give you more than you can handle all the time. If you have children, that's every day, right? So listen, there, there, there's going to be moments when you think, I can't handle this. And God's like, yep, no surprise there. But, but there's nothing that God can't handle. And what we need to do is trust Him. Pursue Him. Be exhorted to keep our eyes on Jesus because the danger of falling away, it's very real. 
And we must pursue being exhorted together. Look what it says in verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Every one of us are in danger of having our hearts hardened to God by the deceitfulness of sin. And, and that's what it is to fall away. It is to have a heart that becomes hardened to God. A heart that will not be molded by God. A heart that will not submit to God. A heart that gets so caught up in yourself that, that it refuses to listen to truth. And there have been many who have fallen into this temptation. And they're suffering for it. Their families are suffering for it. They are suffering for it. And friends, we've got to exhort one another. We've got to challenge each other. We've got to speak the truth to one another in love to protect one another and to remain faithful for the glory of God. We, we got to remain faithful to God by pursuing being exhorted together so that we can do three things better. And these three things are found in Romans chapter 8. I want you to take out your Bible and go to Romans chapter 8. And I want to I introduce you to the Romans 8 way. This is a, a way, there's four sections in this text that I want you to see that we need to understand, to do, and to experience, to, to, to really be better at. There's three things that, that we always need to be exhorted in together. The first one is this. We need to be exhorted to think better. To think better. So look at Romans chapter 8. Look what it says there in verses 1 through 11. I'm not going to read it, but, but look what it says in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. We need to understand what that means. We need to think better. We need to, to understand that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Christ Jesus, when He died on the cross, He paid the penalty of our sin. Listen, some of us have blown it big time. Get over it. It's done. He's paid for it. Move on. You've got to understand, you are no longer condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Quit condemning yourself. you got to get past it. You gotta move on. You gotta understand you are no longer condemned. Second thing you gotta understand is that you've been adopted. Look at verses 12 through 17. Look at how we are to, to be referenced here. We, we are to reference God as His children. We, we are to speak of Him as, as this Abba. Look what it says there in verse 15. We are to, to uh, the spirit of adoption, the sons by whom we cry Abba. That word literally means daddy. Do you ever refer to God as Daddy, do you ever pray that way? I want to encourage you to do it today. Get alone, get on your knees, and address the Almighty as Daddy. It will change your perspective on God's love for you. You got to understand. We got to understand. We are adopted children of God. God Almighty is our Daddy. We have to understand. We are no longer condemned. We, we are adopted children of God. We need to understand providence. Look in verses 18 through 30. There are no accidents with God. There is no coincidence with God. There's only providence. Look what it says in verse 28. we got to understand this. God works all things for good for those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. All things. Listen, we don't understand sometimes what God is doing. And I'm going to tell you this. He's not going to tell us why. Here's what I found. When I tell my children to do something and they ask me why, they're not asking for more information. They're asking for an argument. That's what why 
why is that question. Hey, I need you to go over here and do this. There's that, that's not a request for me to explain it. That's an opportunity for me to explain it so they can give a rebuff and a reason why they shouldn't have to do it. So here's what I do with my kids. When they ask me why, most of the time it's what I do. It says right here. Because I'm daddy, and I don't have to tell you why. I'll tell you why, because I paid for this house and I paid for all God tells us to trust Him and obey Him. That's what we just sang about, right? You don't need to know why. You just need to do it. Understanding that He's going to work all things for good. You wouldn't understand it if He told you. Trust Him. You got to understand. You got to trust Him. Obey Him. He's working all things for good. Another thing, last thing we got to understand is His love. Look at verses 31 through 38. Specifically, look at verses 37 and 38. Look at that everlasting, unending love He has for you. Look what, look what cannot separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus your Lord. Neither death, nor life, nor, nor, nor things of, of earth, nor things of, of the heaven. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus your Lord. Don't you ever forget it. We've got to think better. We've got to exhort one another to think better uh, about who God is, what He's doing, why He's doing it, how He's done it. And, and we've got to understand it. Second thing is this. We've got to exhort one another to feel better. We need to feel differently. Let's go back through this Roman 8 way. How do we need to feel? We need to feel free. Look in verses 7 through 9. Look at how we are to feel. We are to feel the freedom from the flesh. We no longer have to be driven by the desires of the flesh. We are now free to live in obedience to God by the Spirit of God because He's given us a new heart and a new spirit, His Spirit within us. We are now free to obey God. We need to feel that freedom. We need to feel that we are like children. Do you feel childlike? You know, kids, kids with good parents that provide and are responsible for them, they don't worry about squat. Have you noticed that? Sometimes it's, it's, it's a little annoying, but it's also a blessing. Because my kids not worrying tells me they trust me. You know, when we worry, you know what we're saying is? We're saying, hey God, I know you're the Almighty, but uh, I don't know about you. We need to feel, we need to feel God's care for us. We need to feel childlike before the Almighty, knowing that, that He cares and He's concerned. Look at verses again, 18 through 30. He's going to care for us. He's going to work all things for good. We need to feel that. We need to feel His love, that love. Look again, verses 37, 30, that love that will never be taken from us, that we can never be separated from. we got to feel that. We need to exhort one another to feel that. And last, we need to be exhorted to live better. To live better. Again, let's go back through this Romans 8 life. We, we, need, to, we need to live Spirit-led lives. Verses 1 through 11, look what it's saying there. You have been given the Spirit of God. You are not to live on your own. You are to live by the power of the Spirit. To know that He is alive, that He has worked, that His Word is true. And He's going to guide you according to His Word. We must live spirit 
gotta, we gotta encourage, we gotta, we gotta exhort one another to be spirit led. We also have to, to live again. Look at this, like heirs of heaven. This world is not your home, child of God. Stop putting all your stock in the things you can't keep and start investing in the things that you can. First Corinthians chapter thirteen says this. There's faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. You want to know why? Because one day, faith will become sight. Hope will be realized. There's one thing that will last for all of eternity, and that is the love of God. And when we invest in that love, our money, our time, our energy, we are acting wisely. And we need to be exhorted to live this life that understands that this is not our home. We are heirs of heaven. We need to be investing in that. And we need to be confident. Again, verses 18 through 30, what should we be confident of? That God is in control and He's working a plan. We don't understand the details. We don't need to understand the details. We need to trust His plan. Knowing that He's going to providentially provide in ways that, that, they beyond, that go beyond what we can even imagine. Does that mean we're going to suffer sometimes? Yes. I know this is hard to hear, but sometimes the best thing that God can give you is cancer. Sometimes the best thing God can do is to say to your prayer, No. Here's what you can know for certain. Whenever God tells you no, that if you could know what He knew, you'd thank Him for it. Trust Him. Trust Him. Feel it. Know it. Live it. And be confident in it. Realizing that you are in danger. You are always going to be in danger. And you need to be, we need to be exhorted in this. And it's crucial to our existence. Write this down. The pursuit is crucial to safeguard our faith and mission. Don't ever forget, there are, there are people that are far more intelligent and gifted and capable than most of us sitting in this room that have failed. And if they have fallen away, how much more could we? And understand that whenever a child of God falls away, every child of God that falls away, it becomes a tool in the hand of the enemy. I want to tell you why it took me so long to accept Jesus Christ. Because I saw many who claimed to be Christians who had fallen away from the faith. They still went to church, but they were living like me. You know what their life told me? This God thing ain't serious. You know what got my attention? Is when I began to see people take their faith serious that I respected. Friends, people are watching. They're watching whether or not we really think this is true or not. And the more serious we take our faith, and the more we stay focused on the main thing, the greater influence the gospel has on their hearts. And so we got to stay focused. You know, a couple weeks ago at the marriage, when we were doing the marriage series, remember I was talking about how amazing men are and this unbelievable gift that God has given men to only focus on one thing at a time. Remember I was talking about that? And I was talking about how you women are just amazing, too, because you can, you can focus on 50 things at once, which is weird, but that's okay. That's great. But we guys, we can only focus on one thing. And it's so strange how that works. You know, I was, uh, I was supposed to vacuum the other day. And um, I knew it. 
And my wife graciously reminded me, hey, remember, go get the vacuum you need to vacuum. You know, on the way up the steps, I saw something that needed to be dealt with, fixed, you know, and then I fixed that. And then on the way, I ran into Charlie, and he's hilarious, right? My dog. And then I, this is the truth, I was literally upstairs, leaning on the vacuum cleaner, thinking, why, why did I come up here? And my wife, knowing the unique ability that I have to focus on one thing, yelled, hey, did you get that vacuum yet? Why she doesn't kill me, I do not know. But I was, oh, yeah, that's right. Hey, let me ask you something. Why did you come in here today? Why did you accept Jesus Christ when you did? It's so easy to get distracted about things that don't matter. It's so easy to get caught up in things that, that can draw you away from Jesus. Friends, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. I want to warn some of you this morning. Some of you have taken your eyes off of Jesus, and you know it. And you're in danger of having a desert wandering. Some of you are in danger of shipwrecking your faith and your family. And I want to exhort you today to wake up, to ask God for mercy, to ask Him to intervene in your life so that you can remain faithful to the Lord and keep that blessing that He has for you as, as your father, as your daddy cares for you. Some of you need to ask Him for mercy today. Some of you are walking strong. Listen, don't get arrogant. And one of the best ways to stay humble is to not only pray for yourself, but pray for others who are hurting and who are themselves in danger and needing your prayer support. And having prayed for them, go exhort them. If you know someone who's in danger today, come back to Come get on your knees on their behalf. And then, today, don't wait. Today, go and tell them, I'm... I prayed for you today, and now I want to exhort you because I'm concerned that you're not walking faithfully with the Lord, and you need Him, and I want you to have Him. God's mercy makes that happen. Let's ask Him for it. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, Your mercy is amazing. What You do for our souls is, is uh, it's really not a word for it, so I was just, it's amazing. It's awesome. It's unfathomable. I'm so grateful that we can come to you and we can ask you for you to do miracles in us and, and those we care about and love. So Lord, I pray today for some who need to come to you and renew their faith. Some to begin saving faith. Some to ask for those they love and care for. God, that you hear them and that you would you do a miracle. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name. Let's sing of mercy. Come and ask for it and, and pray.